Good morning, Snowden family. It's such a privilege and an honor for me to be bringing the word, bringing us into this last encounter with Jesus, the good shepherd. But before we meet him, let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a gift it is, though, first and foremost. Your word, the fact that you've left behind for us to know you, a book, a revelation that's protected and safe. Thank you that we can know you. And thank you for your spirit that guides us in this word, illuminates us. I definitely am praying right now for your help and your guidance with my lips, with my mind. I pray that only what you need to say will be said. Only the words of Christ will be heard and any words of mine could just go away. All we want to hear is Jesus right now. I also pray that these words will echo in the hearts of my brothers and sisters and, and, and stay there too. We want these words to stay with us, Lord. We want them to guide us. Good shepherd, lead us right now by your words. As you tell us in this text, we want to follow you. And we know that we, we need the help of your spirit. We need the help of your mighty hand to guide us. So we are praying right now, not only for this message, but the application of the message, the living out of the message that we need from you. This is why I'm praying right now. Because I know I desperately need you. And I know my brothers and sisters also need you. We can't do this without you. So we are praying in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to meet this uh, good shepherd, I'd say that we would come to meet him on his terms. We have to be careful not to go too much to the right or to the left. What I mean by this is it could be interesting to study up on how shepherds acted, how they cared for the sheep, or how sheep act. But this would go further than what the text is telling us. What's the main point of this text? Luckily, John gives us this main point. He gives us his thesis statement, actually. In John 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. These are everything in the Gospel of John. In other words, every story... Every miracle, every narrative, like the one we have, every encounter, if you will, has one main goal. It's so that we know that Jesus is the Son of God, and by knowing this, we would have eternal life. That's the main point of our text. Now, we should also remember that Christ came to present the Father to us. He came to literally live out Scripture. The Word of God is not just personal, it's a person. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Therefore, when he is trying to teach the people around him, he's not just scrounging around trying to find stuff he can use to teach. For, for example, I, I want to teach them about the fact that I'm son of God. How can I do that? Hey, shepherds, I could use that. No, he's building us off scripture, what he, it has already been said before him. I'll give you another, another example. When Jesus is actually uh, commissioning Peter, Andrew, and the Zebedee brothers, he tells them that he's going to make them Fishers of men. Now we think, well, it's because they were fishermen. Well, not exactly. Actually, in Jeremiah, uh, God is telling the people how he's going to bring them back. Yes, from exile out of Babylon, but it's more than that. He's going to bring back a remnant to truly follow him. And in Jeremiah 16, verse 16, he says, Behold, I'm sending for many fishers or fishermen, declare the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterwards, I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them for, from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. That's it. That's why Christ had 
12 apostles. He's rebuilding Israel and sending these guys out as fishermen and hunters to get the sheep back to Yahweh. So that's what he was getting at. And these informations are important when we come to this text. And so is the context too. Jesus doesn't just give his speech out of nowhere. It came from a story that just happened in John chapter 9. If I remember, that there's a man born blind and Jesus heals him. And afterwards, he ends up being brought before the religious leaders. There's a little interchange between them, and at some point, they decide to just kick him out. There's a sense they kick him out of the synagogue, but also out of Judaism. They don't want you anymore. You want to follow the other guy. That's when we read in chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Don't miss that. It's after he's cast out that Jesus comes to meet him. Also, the fact that he talks about the Son of Man, one of these weird sayings, and usually when Jesus was saying weird sayings in John, like, I am the bread of life and you must eat me, people tend to walk away. But this man hears and believes right away. We can't miss these points because it's, it's a bit like the stage on which Jesus will climb upon, like I'm on the stage right now, to preach his message. It's off this story in John 9. Now, with all of this said, we can come to the story, but we must realize there's a little contradiction, first of all. On one side, Jesus says he's the door. On the other side, he says he's a shepherd. Now, which is it, Jesus? You can't be an inanimate object and a person at the same time. And some have tried to merge them together and talk about how back then uh, the shepherds would sleep in the entryway of the sheepfold. Therefore, they become the door and the shepherd at the same time. But I think Jesus is getting to something else. When you look at the first five verses, it's a parable or a figure of speech, as it says in verse 6, as we will see. But in this message he's trying to get across, nobody gets it. So he just picks up these same pieces, these same ideas that he's already given them in the first parable, moves them around a bit, and says the same thing to get them to the same point that he's trying to get at. It's like he's moving around puzzle pieces, but to get to that same main idea. That's why he could talk about a door and a shepherd, but still be saying the one same thing. We'll see that as we move along. But now we start with verse 1. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, the man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, right away, we have a lot of interesting pieces being given to us that will come back into play as we move along. Like, for example, we have two main characters, two types of characters. We have the good guy and the bad guys being given to us. I will dare call them good and bad shepherds, and you'll understand why soon enough. But this bad guy, though, he'll be dressed up in different costumes again and again, but he remains this antagonist, this darkness to the light, this bad guy to the good guy that he's going to keep reusing again and again. We could also mention the sheep. They keep coming back over and over again because he's talking about this flock. He's also talking about a main tool or object, the door, which might seem kind of weird. What's the thing with the door? But when you come back to the story and you realize that this door 
is the way you can distinguish between shepherds and those who are not. I mean, the shepherd goes through that door. He makes it clear in verse 2. But these thieves and robbers go in every other way but through the door. So this door is also important. And we see it again when we get to verse 3. To him, the gatekeeper opens. You have to go through the gate. You have to go through the door. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. And when it gets interesting, he's going to repeat himself now in kind of an I- a mirror image by saying, when he brought, he uh, has brought out all his own. So his own he leads out. He brings out his own. I, I don't need to know grammar to understand that there's something here where Jesus is trying to get their attention on. They're his own. They belong to him. He's going to say that again later on as well. There's something important about this relationship between the shepherd and these specific sheep. And now, of course, back then, the idea of the, the big sheep foal was that there's many flocks and it. Therefore, the shepherd had to be able to call out his own sheep. And it's, it's known that even to this day, uh, shepherds are able to literally call out the sheep and through the intonation of their voice, they'll recognize them. and They'll come to him and nobody else. But as we see, that there's, there's more to this, of course. Now, he also talks about leading them out and bringing them out. Like I said, this is built off what we just heard in chapter 9. This man who was cast out of Judaism, like I said, of the synagogue. And that's when Jesus meets him. Don't forget, Jesus said that we must hate father and mother. And the reason is because when you become a follower of Jesus, there'll be the vision in the family. We might not notice here in the West, but go to a Muslim family in Africa. Or go to a North Korean family in North Korea and when you become a follower of Jesus, you better be running out of there because they will try to kill you, literally. So we're seeing here what Jesus is talking about. This idea of being let out, of being brought out, of the fact that following him means separation of. And he continues, though, by saying that he goes before them. Now that's encouraging. Our good shepherd goes before us. He literally went into death and out the other side into glory and becomes the living way by which we go through that path. He goes before us and the sheep follow him. And then he says, for they know his voice. They know, they understand, they perceive, they get it. This is the voice of our shepherd. And this, again, in contrast to the bad guy. This time he's dressed up as a simple stranger. And he says, a stranger they will not follow. And there's a strong negation actually here where it's really absolutely impossible that they will follow him. But they will flee from him. Complete opposite, right? They won't follow him. They'll flee. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Isn't that a encouraging though when you think about it for one second? When you realize all these brothers and sisters we might know who are following right now, one of these strangers, false shepherds, there's a sense where they can't continue for long. If they belong to Christ, they'll hear, they'll recognize that's not his voice and they'll come back. They will flee. That to me is encouraging how Jesus says it with such a, a matter of factly. They cannot follow him. They will not. They will flee because they will follow the voice they recognize their shepherd. But then we find out in verse 6 that they didn't get it. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, Jesus 
again said to them. We see that he's going to come back around and try to get to that main point. I want you to get something. But instead of trying a new parable, which is usually what he does, right? think of what, when he talks about uh, the kingdom of God, he's using different parables. This time, he's talking about the same thing, moving around the pieces that he just used. Why? Because these pieces are such importance. They're built off Scripture, like I said. God himself has used this imagery of shepherds, good and bad. He says, for example, in Jeremiah 23, verse 1 and 4, he says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the sheep who care for my people, the shepherds, sorry, who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they will shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. So he's promising that human shepherds will care for them. Keep that in mind as we look at what he says through Ezekiel now. We'll skip a few verses here and there, but in verse 2 and 3 he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourself, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep? In verse 11 he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. And finally, 15 and 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the, the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. So now we see that he's going to become the shepherd himself. Keep all that in mind because this is what Jesus is building on. This is what he's talking about. This is what he's using to get to his speech right now. So when we get back to our story, we see that Jesus, like I said, he's going to take these pieces, these, these main tools, and he's going to get back to it again and say something pretty drastic. If I may use a little bit of sanctified imagination right now, try to imagine Jesus in a big tourist bus. He's the tourist guide. He's throwing in the fields with the shepherds, and he's trying to get them to figure out something, but they're not getting it. So this is when he, him, he himself grabs the wheel, gets a good 90-degree turn, people are jostled, he hits the field and says, people, I'm the door. I say this because it would have been a bomb for him to say such a thing. I am the door of the sheep? Because in Psalm 118, 
verse 20, God says, This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Yeah, we, we get it. There's a way to God. And now Jesus is saying, I'm the door. That's, that's incredible. That's a theological bomb being thrown at the people right now. We, we have to put ourselves in their mindset at this moment. You're the door. And yet Jesus is not going to explain himself right away. He's going to do that a lot, actually. He's going to throw theological bombs at people, and then he's going to move on to the bad guys for a while. And he's actually going to say, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Now, we might wonder who are those who came before him. Some have suggested it was the false messiahs during what we call the 400 years of science. You know, after the last prophet, before Jesus came, 400 years, God is not talking to them right now. And during that time, some men have lifted up and said, I am the Messiah. Follow me. I will defeat the Romans. But the sheep, those who are the remnant, those who follow Yahweh, did not follow them, did not listen. Some have said maybe it's more current. He's talking about the false teachers of their day, like the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who Jesus himself says they're thieves and robbers who take from widows. Again, the sheep, they're not listening to them. Think of an interchange that happened between the man born blind and the religious leaders. They're trying to make him understand Jesus is a bad guy. Why do you want to follow him? But even though the guy doesn't get the fullness of who Jesus is, he still realizes, I, I don't agree with what you're saying. He didn't listen to them. But the point is still, these bad guys weren't listened to. Then he comes back again, honks the horn on the bus and says, Guys, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Which again is remarkable. He's not saying if you follow my teaching, you will be saved. If you go the way I'm pointing, you will be saved. That's what most religions would say. That's what the Muslims would say. Jesus is a prophet like so many others. He was just pointing the way to get to God like Muhammad. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm the way. You go through me. That's remarkable. And he talks about being saved. Now, yes, this word is actually has, has a broad meaning. It could go from physical healing to spiritual eternal life. But when we look at the text, it seems to be pointing to the saved as in eternal life because he does say after that in verse 10 around the end, it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this is not your better life now. This is not about richness here on earth. He's clearly getting at this idea of abundant eternal life, what's to come afterwards. So when he talks about going in and out and finding pasture, he's talking about the new Jerusalem, this place that even Abraham was looking for. This is what he's saying will happen when you go through this door that is this Jesus. And this in contrast now, because he keeps contrasting, with the thieves. They come only to steal, kill, and destroy. So this person now offering to be the door saying, I'm going to save, I'm going to give eternal abundant life, pasture lands, while they... And don't miss this. They have one purpose, only to steal, kill, and destroy. Whatever this bad guy is, false teacher, 
Pharisee, it, it all comes back to these false shepherds who only have one purpose. Therefore, they say, yeah, but that teacher, I, I like some of the things he says. Yeah, but he, he has one purpose, though. To, to steal, kill, and destroy. It's something we take seriously. That's why he said we, we run from that stranger. And this is the contrast that, that, that he's giving us right now between entering through the way and following the one that will steal, kill, and destroy. And of course, we, we can't miss that this symbolism comes back to what we saw with Ezekiel, right? This, these bad shepherds who, who were taken from the flock, taking the fat, killing the sheep. This is the same thing he's saying. And now he's going to move around the puzzle pieces one more time. Again, trying to get to that main point. To get back to the little image of the bus, he's going to do a 180 to get back on the road, but everybody's going to throw against every wall now. And what I mean is to say I'm the good shepherd, that's an atomic bomb right now. I mean, with Pastor Bennett, we've been seeing this name, I am, it refers to Yahweh. The, the self-sufficient, self-existent, eternal, glorious, good, loving, all-powerful, all-knowing God. And Jesus is saying, that, that's me. Now, of course, it was even clear in chapter 8, but still, the fact that he says, I am the good shepherd, doesn't take away from the fact that he's saying, he is God. Like I said, this is built off Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and all these promises that God himself will come to be their shepherd. And Jesus is saying, I'm that fulfillment. Don't forget what he said to the rich young ruler. Only God is good. So to say, I'm the good shepherd, it's pretty striking. But then he says something even more insane. And to continue with this image, sorry if it seems weird, but it's like he hits the brakes right now and tells them, God's going to die too. Yeah, he, he says, the good shepherd, which is him right now, lays down his life for the sheep. Now, this is more than just he was going to sacrifice a lot for them. You know, like David wrestling with, with bears and lions. You know, he gets really beaten up, but he, he saves the sheep. Or, or Jacob talking to Laban about how he sacrificed for 21 years and in this lack of sleep and in the cold for your sheep and your flock. This is more than that. In a subtle way now, but it gets less and less subtle as we move along. He's literally saying, I will die so they can live. I die, they live. But he just said he's God. And he just said now he thought God's going to die. Again, we read this in a Christian mindset. And yes, of course. But put yourself in the Jewish mindset for a second. You're saying God's about to die. That makes no sense. Even if you dare say you're God, to say that you're going to die makes no sense, Jesus. This is why our Jehovah Witness friends do not agree with our theology of the cross, where we say that Jesus is God who died. That's illogical. Yet, this is what Jesus is saying. But before he explains himself one more time, he's going to move on to the bad guys. He's going to make us linger. He says, He who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So this bad guy is a mercenary. He's a soldier. He doesn't kill himself, but he leaves the sheep to get eaten by wolves instead. Not necessarily a better thing. He doesn't care. Don't forget what Peter told us. Cast your cares upon the Lord because what? He cares for us. 
But this again, this this amazing contrast he's trying to build. Good Shepherd dies for the sheep. This guy doesn't care and leaves the sheep to die. Contrast. And again, he comes around and tells them, in case you didn't get it, guys, I'm the good shepherd. It's me. I know my own and my own know me. Once again, this beautiful repetition of how intimate he is with these sheep. This is my sheep, my own sheep. And they know me. And, and I love that how he, he, he connects this with the fact that just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Wow. Now, of course, we don't, we don't literally enter into the Trinity. But just think about this eternally perfect relationship between the Father and the Son. And then Jesus saying, as I know them. That's, that's jaw-dropping. That's incredible. That should move our hearts. We don't have to try to get a relationship with Jesus. We don't have to try to make that intimacy. He knows us. We are his own. It is a fact. That's beautiful. And then he says it again. I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, he says, I'm going to die. And again, before he explains himself, He's going to move on to something else, completely different. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, which would, of course, mean not Israel, not Jewish, the Gentiles, us. I must bring them also, and don't miss this, and they will listen to my voice. You hear the insurance in our Lord's, verse, in our Lord's words right now? They will. Listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, which is not a bomb in and of itself. This other flock, other foe, will be part of the same flock with us Israelites. But he didn't flush this out. Instead, he finally starts to explain himself. In verse 17, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Oh, good, you don't stay dead. Okay, that's starting to make sense a bit. But don't miss that he says something other that's pretty profound. For this reason, the Father loves me. It's because I lay down my life, the Father loves me. And it'd be tempting for us to say, Jesus, uh, you don't get it. Okay, the Father's love is unconditional. You don't have to do anything. Yet Jesus still says, for this reason, because of this obedience, the Father loves me. Now, we do understand that this is, in a sense, eternal obedience. I mean, the, the, this lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. The, the, the Trinity had planned for redemption before there was even a creation. It was forever the same way he's the eternal begotten son of God. There's not a moment when he came to be. He was eternally begotten and he was eternally obedient. But still, we can't go past this idea that the love of God is found in the obedience, in this sacrifice of the son the father doesn't love us because we're lovable or lovely i'm sorry to have to tell you this you're not and i am not either and it's not because he's so much love he can't help himself it's because the son died that his love is upon us we can't move past this ever the love of the father is on us because the son has died because we are in the son that's amazing now we get a bit more explanation to round it up. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. 
Oh yes, the Jewish rulers got together. They had some legal trials. They mistreated Jesus. They pressed the Romans, crucify him. And they did. But ultimately, Jesus says, I put down my life of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. Because death has no hold over him. This charge I have received from my father. Death can't hold him. Therefore, God can die because he cannot be held back by death. Death for him is the pathway he gives us to enter into glory by making the way, by becoming the way. So this is how he can say, I am the good shepherd and I will die. But like I said, if we put ourselves in their shoes for a minute, these are radical words. The next verse tells us how once again the Jews were just flabbergasted. My paraphrase here. This is some amazing words. And maybe there's some people right now listening who think these are crazy words, especially in this postmodern world where everybody's true and everybody's right and you can have your own religion, everything's okay. How dare Jesus say that he's the only way? You have to go through him only. Well, he can say that because he's God. Because he was God made flesh, living a perfect life on earth. And in a sense, we could say he earned for himself eternal life, but chose our eternal judgment instead on the cross. Yeah. So by faith, we come to the cross and bring our ugly, sinful, wicked sheepiness and give it to him. In exchange, he gives us his Lamb of God costume, his righteousness it put, put upon us. We turn away, turn away from this path of destruction we were on to go through the door, through the way, into glory by faith. But for some of you who have already passed through that door, who are in the sheepfold, I would say, brothers and sisters, don't be so quick to try to move on from the sheepfold, to go to greater things. Like I said, it, it could be interesting to study up on shepherds, and you'll discover how stupid sheep are. Yet Jesus doesn't talk about that. Did you, did you see that? Again and again, the one characteristic about the sheep is how they listen, they receive, and they will obey and follow the shepherd. That's amazing. That's amazing. That is the way he, he presents his sheep. No, his own sheep. We don't get past the fact that they are bad guys. Whatever costume they're wearing, stranger or killer, they only have one purpose, to destroy. And that's why we are called to flee from them. And in this day and age where we have so many who are good at imitating the voice of Jesus, or if you prefer, they know how to use scripture. Men or women, they know how to twist the word to tickle the ear of the sheep. We need to take this seriously and run as we are called to, but how encouraging, we will, Jesus says. Oh, we will. We don't get past the way this good shepherd presents himself. He's not talking about how he puts oil on their heads or washes them or takes away their, their wool. No, he talks about one thing, I die for them. In the sense, we don't get past the cross, actually. That's where we should stay. That's where the good shepherd died for us. That's what he speaks the loudest, actually. Think about it. On the cross, he was willing to intercede for his enemies, right? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
Do we lift up clean hands for all men everywhere, praying and blessing our enemies as we are called to? You know, upon the cross, he took the time to comfort a man who was agonizing about his upcoming death, knowing as a sinner he was going to meet his maker. And what did he tell him? Today, I tell you, you will be in paradise with me. Wow. Last minute biblical counseling right before he dies. That's a good shepherd for you. This good shepherd takes the time to care for his mom, her earthly care, by giving her over to the one disciple who would live to the ripe old age. That's forethought for you. That's wisdom in action. You know, the earthly cares, they're not beyond us either. He who doesn't care for his own family is worse than an infidel. Have you realized that in Ephesians, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, it doesn't talk about having gifts, but it talks about being good husbands and wives and parents and, fa- and children and slaves? That, that's what the filling of the Spirit does. We don't get past the earthly thing, just like for Jesus also on the cross. And lastly, upon the cross, this good shepherd preached one last sermon. What do I mean? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Psalm 22. And if you know that psalm, you know that most of that psalm is about the crucifixion. So think about those Israelites seeing this right now, hearing him say that. You don't think some of them are thinking about, wait a second, Psalm 22. Whoa, wait a second, this is what's going on right now. We're crucifying our Messiah. They're getting it. He preached his last sermon from the cross. That's our good shepherd dying for us. So like I said, we don't get past this. This is where we encounter him. We don't need to go all around the world as a missionary. We don't need to go to an, an evening of worship. We don't need to have goosebumps or warm fuzzies inside. We don't need to have some charismatic experience. No, we, we encounter Jesus in his word right here at the foot of the cross. That's what we need because that's where the truth is. We don't get past this. May the Lord keep us here for the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, sometimes we are like sheep who wander away, but how encouraging. As you have said yourself, we will hear you and we will follow you. That's amazing. We are assured that you, your spirit, your hand will guide us. You lead the way and we will follow even though we are so disobedient so many times. But if we look at our disobedience, we would miss what you are saying. And you said that we will hear and follow you. Thank you for this reassurance, this sovereign truth. And thank you for the warning and thank you for the fact that you will lead us away from these bad shepherds, whatever disguise they may wear. And we definitely pray that you will keep us in discernment, Lord, because there are so many trying to use your lips to say lies to the elect and the sheep if it's possible. So we pray, keep us, Lord. Keep our brothers and sisters whom I've wandered away following strangers. Call out to them. And bring them back, we pray. We thank you, Lord, because you are a good shepherd. You gave your life for us. Not only to give us an example upon the cross, but to literally give us life by your death. Don't let us get past this, Lord. Don't let us chase all these new experiences. Just stay at your feet and take in your word. And just drink it in and meditate and chew on it and let it be our bread and our life 
Help us, Good Shepherd. And thank you. Amen.